Lemuel Gonzalez, repentant sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson, Without Works. This week, we bring you two segments, some fodder for the canon and a bit of history in The More You Know. We will begin a two-part conversation about the central figure of Christianity, Jesus. We are dividing this into two parts to emphasize the two ways of looking at him, the Jesus of Nazareth, historical figure, itinerant preacher, and religious reformer, who caused the social unrest that compelled the establishment of the day to have him executed. Then, next time, we will look at Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, the Lamb of God, and Savior of the world. But before we get to the reason for the season, let's get our canonization on and discuss some modern-day heroes with a quick edition of Canon Fodder. Dr. Sanjeet Singh Saluja, an emergency doctor and physician at McGill University Health Center in Montreal, said that he and his brother, also a doctor, have shaved their beards so they could properly wear N95 face masks that offer protection from the coronavirus. I start out, (laughs) that doesn't sound like too much to ask. Shave your face, doctors, except these two doctors happen to be practicing six. Six? Six. Six. I believe. They are at the center of an ongoing question in the Uh Sikh community as to whether they should make this sort of sacrifice or whether they should demand the protection that their religion affords them and, and that their religious freedom affords them. So let's start. I am not saying that these two men should have had to make this decision. I am saying that these two men made this decision. All right. And that is what should be praised. The fact that they had to make this decision is terrible. And so I definitely want to start by saying that I would agree with uh, uh, another member of their community, uh, another physician, uh, Dr. Jaspal Singh, who's a professor of medicine at Atrium Health in North Carolina, who says that Sikh healthcare workers should not be forced to make a choice between their career and their faith. That's absolutely So what exactly is the controversy about? Oh, let's start with this. Okay. Says Dr. Singh Saluja, the man man at the center of the controversy. One of the pillars of the Sikh faith is Seva, which is service to mankind. Uh I have always viewed my work as a chance for me to fulfill my faith's expectations of service. However, another pillar of my faith, as many of you know, is Kesh, which is the practice of allowing one's hair to grow naturally out of respect for the the perfection of God's creation. In this time of pandemic, I am faced with an existential crisis as the latter has severely limited my ability to serve. So, these two brothers, Sikh doctors in mm-hmm. Canada, have made the very difficult decision to shave their faces, which is against one tenant of their religion, in order to serve another tenant of their religion, as well as their communities, by continuing to serve as a doctor. So is there a, a repercussion within the, the, within the rules of their faith? Within about... the rules of their faith, there ha- I don't believe that any of the Sikh... Uh, 
religious community has weighed in mm. on whether there would be repercussions for them. Okay. My sense is that if there will be repercussions for them, they will take they in the parlance of um, uh, corporate America, they'll take that offline. They're not right. going to make that a, a public, public statement, right. I don't think. Be for a number of reasons, probably. They don't want to uh, shame these men, right. I don't think. Especially it, if they're, you, you know, observing another part of the faith. Right, right. And following their convictions to observe that part of the to faith. To observe that part, part of the faith. Um, what I would say is sort of most... Uh, this most brilliantly highlights the need for PPE, personal protective equipment, mm -hmm. for all healthcare workers. They are now relying on these N95 masks, but if they could get full face shields mm -hmm. and full, like those suits, uh, like the hazmat wear. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen mm -hmm. that in public where people are essentially wearing a different version of like a welder's mask. Mm-hmm. And that seems like that would cover the problem because it doesn't impair the... the it does for exhaling, for outgoing uh -huh. transmission. It doesn't so much for incoming okay. transmission, which is when these doctors are working directly with patients with COVID-19, mm -hmm. they need to have the N95 mask or equivalent because that is doing fil actual filtering. It's okay. not just a protective face cover to stop droplets, which is what we're all doing on right. the day-to-day -day basis. They need to protect themselves from incoming virus. Uh, and the other way to do that, seek approved, and what should be uh, mm -hmm. available for them are those full head coverings mm -hmm. that they should be able to wear. Unfortunately, the all of the personal protective equipment is in very short supply. That okay. was never made even to the levels of masks and isn't being focused on as we push manufacturing. Maybe this will lead to something new, development of a new kind of protective... Or a larger stockpile. Like, when you have right. Sikh doctors on your staff, make sure that you have the proper right. precautions. Especially because they're so willing to serve and to help. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I hate that they were forced to make this decision, mm -hmm. but I am in awe of the decision that they make, and I hope that the leaders of their church mm -hmm. as they are existing along with alongside these men in the pandemic will take all of the world into account when meeting out any sort of I don't want to say punishments but no, any sort I mean, of right you know, repercussions, repercussions I kept, for this I was careful with that word because I don't want it to seem like it's punitive everything every word that I thought of uh -huh. was punitive right. <laughs> so yeah it's so hopefully you know they are not met with too much pushback right. although I do understand the Sikh community and other religious communities being outraged with them or on their behalf for having to make this decision right. which Absolutely. Yes. Let's be in in a time when people are shouting religious freedom for things that do not require religious freedom. Mm -hmm. Their religious freedom is being infringed on right. in a very real way. And so let's speak up for that and not for a mega church opening. Well, so I congratulate their choice. That's very courageous, I think. Mm -hmm. And it also is 
it represents. I remember we, we saw a film a while back. Mm. Um, name escapes me. It was about a terrorist attack on Hotel Mumbai. Right, where there's a Sikh man who pulls off his turban. Yes. To put a panicking Westerner at ease. Yes. Um, Ooh, and I hated that panicking Westerner a well, lot yes, in that course, episode. But or in that, what in that, that movie. showed was the compassion of the person who was willing to sort of take this hit right. in order to put someone at ease and exp- I am not a terrorist, I am not mm-hmm. these other people who are attacking you. Right. Um, and that was a really courageous and beautiful moment in that it, film. It's it sad that, it, again, sad that he was... He had, this was the extreme he had West, to go to. Western civilization pushed him to right. having to uh, decry part of his faith mm-hmm. to make him one of them, which right. is terrible. Right. Like, that's, but um, at the same time, it was a very brave show for the character. Yes. And, it, and I also think that it speaks to the, the actual religion, which I know uh, very little about. I yeah. will say that. I don't know about this religion. Uh, th- what I know about Sikh people are all of the Sikh men that I have ever met have been mm-hmm. very nice, and I don't know a single Sikh woman because I cannot pick, like, I don't, right. they don't have visible cues that indicate to me that they are Sikh. Uh, so, like, a turbaned man with a beard is pretty much guaranteed to be right. Sikh, Right. That is not the case for the women. I, I'm sure that they do. I just don't know what they are. Yeah. But what it says to me is that they live in their faith while living in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a more humane and open way to live in your faith. Right. Rather than just the teachings say don't do a thing, so we absolutely won't do that right. thing, regardless of what is happening around us. Well, and especially what is, during the behavior that's been... Um, exhibited during this pandemic. Yes. Where I can safely say that, though I don't know much about the Sikh faith, I can say they're being better Sikhs than some people are being Christians. Yes. Um, and so that's, uh, yes, uh, again, that yeah, seems and, like and, a very and good and idea to the, recognize it's it. The, it's the Christian evangelicals that are decrying that their religious freedoms are being uh, impinged, impinged on. on right mm-hmm. now because they're not allowed to go and sit in a non-well-ventilated area with a bunch of people who will undoubtedly get them sick. Mm-hmm. That is not... These men's religious freedoms were actually impinged. You can mm-hmm. do your job or you can break... a, a And you can break a pillar of your religion mm-hmm. or you can't do your job. That is the definition right. of religious persecution. And they handled it and it's not just a job. This is for the safety and well-being of people who aren't even of their faith, by and right. large. So, yes, this is a great show of compassion. Yes. I would say or point out, um, incidentally, since the subject got brought up, that Christian, when we talk about people who are saying they have a right to go to church, and this is taking or robbing them of that religious freedom, um, as we saw the press secretary do recently, if she was making that statement, mm-hmm. it shows a profound ignorance the early church met in catacombs. Yes. Or in private worship. In solitary. women's homes. Jesus, uh, at one point, um, instructs people to pray in closets. Yes, you're not supposed to pray out in public. That's right. Not... Th- this is not a part of... This is... The, the Christian religion has been practiced. The faith has been practiced in all sorts of very unlikely places. 
And so the idea that we have to come together in a church is ridiculous because, well, we can say safely, Jesus never set foot in a Christian church in his lifetime. It's true. And so, yes, the, 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 the idea that to people who... Yeah, and if you believe that God is omnipresent... God's everywhere. That's what that word means. Right. <laughs> For those who don't know, omnipresent, which is a word that, you know... Present all. All. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So thank you, doctors. Good for these two men. Yes, thank you. Next up, we're getting personal with Jesus Christ in this week's edition of The More You Know. So, what do we know about the historical Jesus? What we know for sure, we can assume safely, is that Jesus existed. This is not a joke. There was a historical critical trend that denied that Jesus existed at all. There are no documents written by Jesus himself, and the best sources outside of the Gospels are Josephus, a Jewish historian whose very brief observation may have been altered, and Roman historian Tacitus in A.D. 116. This is what Tacitus says. But of all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the propitiations of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration, this is after the burning of Rome, okay. was the result of an order. Consequently, to get rid of this, the report, Nero fastened his guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous, mischievous, mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was made of all who pleaded guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of the firing the city as of hatred against mankind. So they were looking for scapegoats yes. for the burning of Rome. Because it was given on orders from the emperor. And they rounded up a bunch of people who were calling themselves Christians. Right. And because they weren't the ones who actually burned Rome, they just decided, that's okay, we got you on misanthropy. Right, Misanthropy. Exactly. So, <laughs> now, we could, re, we could apply the same um, quotation to any group on the outside of any major population. Of course. It was the blacks, it was the Asians, it was the gays, it it's was somebody. It's the immigrants at the border right now. Exactly. Yeah. The empire will fall apart. And what's interesting is the Roman idea that... Uh, that and, and, of course, Rome set itself on fire. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it was easy to find somebody that was disliked, but uh, aside from mentioning here, this... Uh, this origina the mention originator of, of, of Jesus is yeah. Christus, who, and it follows very much what we read in the Gospels. He's executed by Pontius Pilate. Yes. So this is one of the few references outside of the Gospels outside themselves. Outside the Gospels, okay. Um, it also shows the fact that, you know, as we these days talk about, we just mentioned people claiming that their Christian rights have been violated. It used to be much worse. Oh, yeah, well, yes. There well, are other references, <laughs> one in a Talmudic commentary that mentions a bastard sorcerer who deceives Jews with Egyptian black magic, and a Stoic philosopher who gave a flattering reference to Jesus as a wise king who lives on through his just rules. The records we have other than those are the religious biographies in the Gospels, full of miracles and exorcisms. If you don't believe in those things, you might think the whole story is a fiction. Can we extract something like a biography from a hagiography? 
separate the exorcisms, miracles, and the divine plans from the Gospels. We can. You know who else doesn't didn't write anything down ever? Who? Socrates. <laughs> Socrates didn't write anything down. Exactly. Everything we have from Socrates came somewhere else. But we don't. We aren't like. He's a myth and a lie. Exactly. Although. Well, there were also, like Jesus, there are some external references to Socrates, but there might be actually less for Socrates than there are for Jesus. There might be. Uh, the other, well, yes, because he was making a star, so people were talking. There mm. are people who are clearly talking about him. So, also, it, here's, mm-hmm. here's, can I, can I sure. put in a few cents on what we know about the historical Jesus? Right. He was not a white man. Yes, we know that. He, if he was, he would have been stoned as a baby because right. that would have been very weird. He, <laughs> what we do know for sure from gathering from outside sources is exactly what we just read from Tacitus. That we know. We can verify that he was born in Judea, that he was executed by Pontius Pilate, and that he had followers. That's it. That's it. That's what we know. That's what we know and outside of the And that Stoic thought he was a good guy. Right. And uh, <laughs> this Talmudic commentary said he was a sorcerer who led Jews astray. I would like to point out that Jesus was a Jew. So oh. that's not, you know, th- there's... Yes, but if you're waiting for a Messiah and you don't want that to be your Messiah, then right. you have to go ahead and throw a few stones at well, him. Well, there's, they also, yeah, like I said, the, the, the claim is actually really offensive. and It seemed to be deliberate to uh, stir people to, uh, to hate the new faith. But as you saw... With the Romans, that was a very common tactic. Right. They hate all of mankind. Right. Despite the fact that Jesus is constantly saying to love one another, those Christians hate all mankind, therefore we have to get rid of them. So someone already separated the miracles uh, from Jesus, and that was in 1820. Thomas Jefferson published The Life and Moral, uh, excuse me, the Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, the second volume of a distillation of the Christian system of ethics and morality within the, without the religious aspects. We're talking about Thomas Jefferson? Thomas Jefferson, the Thomas the Jefferson. The founding father. Yes. The and slave owner. Exactly. <laughs> the not just slave owner. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, definitively that I don't care if you think it was a romantic relationship. Sally Hemings was a slave right. and did not have any say in that relationship. Okay. Yes. That's so, my little well, right, moral so, high ground for Thomas Jefferson. I'll get off my soapbox. Well, Thomas Jefferson, uh, in the second volume of Distillation of Christian, it was a system of ethics and morality that he wanted without the religious aspects so as to fit with his own philosophy, which was metaphysic naturalism. And that was a... Of a school of thought that rejected the supernatural. Hold on. You're telling me that one of the founding fathers rejected the supernatural parts yes. of Christianity? Uh, rejected the supernatural parts of everything. Well, that's fine. But you know how much we hear about the founding fathers and their Christianity? Yes, that's a lie. Many of them were deists. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, at least one had, well, that's a whole other issue, had very strange religious beliefs that involved, you know, orgies. Anyhow... So well, uh, uh, several of them too were Mason, right? Which have a whole separate set of we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how far you down that rabbit hole. That, 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 that just turns into static, right. <laughs> and then we are never heard from again. So Jefferson's intolerance towards angels, demons, and miracles are summed up in a letter to John Adams, another founding father, describing. Yeah, you've seen Hamilton. I have uh, seen describing Hamilton. his ambitions with his project. I have performed this operation for my own use by cutting verse by verse out of the printed book and arranging the matter which is evidently his and which is as easily distinguishable as diamonds in a dunghill. 
The result is an octavo of 46 pages of pure and unsophisticated doctrines. He took all of his uh, fables, not his fables, what are well, parables? the parables, right. Which all are, of his moral teachings. Right. And, and separated and left them. out, yes. you know, so, wine into water and all that good stuff. So, yes, he actually took a razor blade to a Bible and pasted together all the parts that he thought were the story of the real Jesus. The result was the moral teaching of a remarkable teacher and philosopher who combines Hellenistic ideas with Hebrew teachings. He continues in another letter, Probably you've heard me say that I've taken the four evangelists, had cut out from them every text that they recorded of the moral precepts of Jesus and arranged them in a certain order. And although they appeared but as fragments, yet fragments of the most sublime edifice of morality which had ever been exhibited to man. So he morally believed in Jesus. Um, we can say that he, he did not... he didn't believe in all the faith. Right. He did not believe in the supernatural. This was not something that he chose to believe in. Hey, you know what's un- upsetting to me? What? When I have something in common with Thomas Jefferson. Well, Jefferson's experiment is mostly forgotten today. This would probably annoy him as he consciously saw himself as creating history. Right. He was like, I've cleaned it up for you. Right. Like, I have done this for you people. <laughs> you... You super, what is the word I'm looking for? It's oh, winning. superstition. Super, you superstitious morons, I have cleaned it up for well, you. Well, you can tell the tone that he's taking in these letters is that he has done a great work. Well, the tone um, that Thomas Jefferson tends to which take is, is... Right, exactly. So Superior. <laughs> like most people who are trying to separate Jesus of Nazareth from Jesus Christ, there's a specific agenda. Mostly it's the idea of separating the mystical elements they don't believe in from the social gospel that they do believe in. Right. Very few people have an issue with the social gospel. Albert Schweitzer, in 1906, wrote The Quest for Historical Jesus. He saw Jesus as a failed apocalyptic prophet. He continued an exploration of Jesus that was popular at the time, using methods from secular historical criticism. His conclusions were, as it happens so often, in line with his own personal view. Who is Albert Schweitzer? I'm he sorry. was a theologian and a great humanitarian. There okay. are awards named after him. I know, that's, but I wanted mm. to thank you. Uh, similar experiments were carried out in 1985 at the Jesus Seminar. Oh, that sounds like a happening situation. The point of the seminar was to separate a historic Jesus from the gospel narratives using methods that came under fire from more traditional religious academics. The Jesus Seminar scholars omitted some of the gospel stories entirely in favor of questionable sources like the proto-Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. Okay, so I'm going to side with them on this one, because uh-huh. here's the thing. Right. The Bible's the Bible because a king wanted the Bible to look the way that it looks. Well, but at the same time, if we have... Let's take out the Gospel of John, which was written later, and has less in common with the rest of the Gospels. Okay. We have the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm-hmm. If they have a thrust and a style to Jesus' teaching that's mm-hmm. cohesive, and somebody else brings in Gnostic ideas that don't sound at all like Jesus, that's probably the reason why the Gospel of Thomas is not a part of the, well, the canon. Is, is Thomas the, the Thomas? Is the doubting It's supposed one? to be the doubting Thomas, but the earliest manuscript you have of that is actually much, much later than John. Okay, so, so even that is yeah, so probably not. Right. But once again, there were a lot of Gospels. There were a lot of Gospels. And then a king wanted uh-huh. a a book to look but the they weren't it's almost dismissive to say a king wanted it there were scholars actual scholars who were doing the best with the resources that they had that's fine there are actual to scholars today in our right. administration not able to do the job that they would like yes, to do but that doesn't the, mean that the, the head I think of state what you have here is much more cohesive than 
including gospels that we have no writings of that validate that anybody involved with that, writing that document was even alive during Jesus' lifetime. Whereas we have, with at least the synoptic gospels, um, one of them was written by a disciple of Peter, for instance, um, which would be Mark. And even though that's fragmentary, there's parts of it missing, it pretty much is a whole story. And there's others as well. Another one was written by Luke, it's who was an assistant. a whole story, but everybody knows right. that everybody's well, life has ma- many whole the stories. Best, to me, the best gospel was always Luke, because it was written by a man who clearly interviewed people and did research. He was a, a, a friend, an associate of St. Paul. And he was writing this specifically for, um, for pagans who were reading the story and didn't have the context of Judaism to work with. But right. anyhow, so of the 74 scholars at the Jesus Conference, only 14 were considered significant scholars in the field of New Testament studies. Some of the criticism came from the fact that the scholars involved had, again, a consistent ideological bent, and that was much more important than their academic qualifications. One of the most vocal attendees was Paul Verhoeven. That's fun. The man who brought you showgirls and starship troopers was deciding which of Jesus' words were true. Well, that's a very judgy sentence that Jesus would not utter, I don't think. Uh, but uh, he didn't utter it. I did. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, and I'm saying that as a person who is not a New Testament scholar, and I'm telling you, as a person, I can say that I would never presume to say, I'm going to sit in a conference along with other, some religious scholars and some that have no actual place in the field and try to decide what's true about the Bible. I can only go from what it says not trying to edit it. Um, yeah, he is the only one of them that didn't have a degree in biblical studies. So yeah, I feel like get a degree before you... Right, but he was also the most vocal, and he was also trying to gather material to make a film about the life of Jesus, which he never made, which is probably for the best. Yes. I, I've seen Showgirls. As with other historians... Starship Troopers is a great movie. Uh, it is... The purest form of satire that has probably ever been put on screen. Right, but I don't want... If I had objections to Mel Gibson telling Jesus' story, I certainly have objections to Paul Verhoeven telling Jesus' story. You're not going to like his upcoming movie. Oh, as that goes without saying. Vendetta. (laughs) All right. It's about a novice nun in the 17th century. She's a lesbian. I'm sure there were. Novitiate. As with other historical biographies of Jesus, these attempts to save Jesus from religion or from the mystical tell us more about the times these theories were formulated in than the actual Jesus himself. In some of the biographies written over the years attempting to separate Jesus from his mysticism, we can see Jesus depicted as a free thinker, a Unitarian, a socialist, a communist, a revolutionary, sort of like an early Che Guevara, and more recently an agnostic or an atheist. Yes. There's a story that uh, there's a book claiming Jesus was an atheist. Jesus' teachings can be interpreted in many of those ways, but in doing so, we create a Jesus that is just as unrealistic as the gospel narratives. In fact, the unmystical Jesus is a much bigger problem than the mystical Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was a mystical figure, a prophet, constantly referring to God and internalizing God. As to the historical Jesus, there's as much evidence for Jesus as there is uh, for Socrates. He told stories people liked. He liked people. He was very protective of the underprivileged. He hated religious hypocrisy. He loved God. He was devoted to the Jewish people and devoted to the Jewish faith. But what else could he be? More on that next time. 
that brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review. And you should share it with a friend. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts where episodes can be found there. We're also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and at, on Facebook by searching Without Works Podcast up in the search bar. All of those are easy clickable links on the website. So go check it out. I'm the Remedy, and he's the manual. And we urge you to stay home and do something good. <laughs>